Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. My name is Paul and in this episode we're going to be talking about virtual cities. Now if you've been listening for some time you'll notice this is a subject I have some interest in given that I did an episode um, on video game cities uh, with lots of people contributing to it a while ago. But I re- yeah, recently found out about this, this book called Virtual Cities, uh, written by Konstantinos Dimopoulos, who is you know, someone who I was familiar with just like through Twitter and stuff, uh, who's involved involved in um, video game development, but also has a background in, in urban planning and um, all, this, all this type of stuff, an academic background. So he's always had uh, yeah, an interesting perspective on, on um, virtual places. And uh, yeah, I just I like this idea of th- this book is essentially like a, a kind of atlas of like fictional virtual places, and I thought it was a cool idea. And uh, yeah, something that I wanted to, to speak to him about because obviously we are interested in um, fictional worlds here. We're interested in fictional places, and this book is full, certainly full of dystopias. Um, it's full of cities that you wouldn't necessarily call utopian but but uh, nice places at least uh or places that might have some kind of utopian dimension but that's something we'll talk about when we we get to the the uh conversation with Konstantinos. i know i said at the end of last year i'm gonna be working to get episodes more regularly uh this year and it's sort of taken until the end of the month to get the first one out but that's the that was uh kind of expected just in terms of who I could get when and stuff like that. So I I have that is still that is still what I'm planning on doing. Uh spoken to lots of people over the last few weeks about coming on the show and yeah, got stuff being planned. So I'm hoping I can get some some episodes out fairly fairly quickly after this one. But um quickly before we get into the into the the bulk of the episode, if you like what I'm doing on the podcast and want to support me and help doing it, and get access to extra bonus episodes that aren't here on the main feed, then head over to patreon.com slash utopian horizons where you can sign up to uh, support me and get access to, to that bonus content, as I mentioned. Also, if you've been enjoying the show, please consider giving me a review on um, Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to this on. And you can follow me on Twitter at utopian horizons if that's something that you want to do. Oh, one other thing I'm, I'll mention. Um, I got I had an article come out today, I think, as I'm recording this, uh, in Blood Knife, which is um, kind of online magazine about like capitalism, I I guess you'd say, um, and, and kind of um, culture and stuff like that. And I got an article in there about The Last of Us Part Two and how it kind of uh, is uh, how it's kind of an artifact of America struggling to find a vision of what it is um, and, and kind of how it sees its future and tap, taps into all kinds of like uh, utopian and uh, dystopian themes. So that might be interesting to you. And, and also there's loads of uh, other cool stuff on Blood Knife, um, which I think you'll enjoy if you like this show. It, it, 
deals with lots of the same kinds of um, issues, I think. So you go, just go to bloodknife.com if you want to find that. Anyway, uh, that's enough for me on all that stuff. Let's get into the conversation with Konstantinos. Hello, just editing in a quick bit to say I forgot to mention, uh, I've just realised as I've been editing the audio, you'll probably hear my kids shouting in the background at some points during this episode. Uh, that's just a factor of corona and my kids being at home more. So yeah, sorry about that and uh, sorry if it bothers you in any way. I will do my best to to clean up the audio and edit it out, but you're probably going to hear them sometimes. Um, so yeah, just wanted to say that and now I'll leave you with the episode. Joining me now is Konstantinos Dimopoulos. He is the author of a, a recent book called Virtual Cities, an Atlas and Exploration of Video Game Cities. Um, uh, to start us off, Konstantinos, I wonder if you could just tell people listening um, a little bit about your background and um, what this book is you've just written and what it's about. So, uh, of course, first of all, um, hello. Thanks for uh, having me over. And uh, So, a bit, a bit about me. I am. I used to be an urbanist, that is, uh, you know, someone who was into the geography of cities and, and urban planning and this sort of thing and researching, you know, proper civic matters. And for the past 10 or so years, I've sort of uh, started working as a games urbanist. That is the same thing, only applied on virtual space. So it's a combination of, you know, level design and urban planning for the creation of urban environments in games, mostly that that's my day job, that's what I mostly do. And mm-hmm. uh, As for this, the book on, on virtual cities, uh, I think it was meant to cover the geography part of, uh, of game urbanism. Was it, you know, the, the critique and uh, theoretical discussion, if you want, of the subject itself. So that's, that's roughly who I am and what I'm doing in a, in a very, very short nutshell. Yeah. Okay, well... Um... Obviously, what we, we're going to be speaking today a bit about that that book and um, video game cities in in general. It's a subject that that I'm interested in. Actually, a lot of, quite a long time ago, I, I did a, an episode uh, on video game cities. So it's uh, yeah, it's a subject that's interested me. So the first thing I want to ask you is is what what is the appeal of cities in in video games um, to you, and and why? Because when when, pe- when people were talking about, say, the the fiction of a video game, they will often be talking about the story or like what happens in in the game. But obviously, the place it happens with is is part of that fiction, and that's something you've obviously focused in on in doing this book that talks through all these video game cities. So, yeah, what what's the appeal of video game cities to you? Why do you why why this focus on on the the fictional places themselves? Well, first of all, it has to be you know this sort of professional perversion thing. It's I mean, I have been studying cities for quite a while, so I tend to be, you know, attracted to the to their uh, analysis yeah. and themselves. So I, I, I'm interested in cities as it is. But other than that, cities tend to be really important in settings, as in they can be very pithy when trying to summarize and encapsulate a setting. For example, you know, like Sigil in in Planescape. So instead of discussing a million places and a billion different dimensions and, and portals and 
this immense complexity, you can effectively boil it down and summarize it in, in a single very weird but very well done city. And and similarly, in most uh, settings, it's it's very easy to to create the image of I don't know Gondor in your mind mm. uh, and have a few important things happen there than the whole of Middle Earth. So that's that's something. That's another factor that's pretty important. And also, I, I'm pretty certain that we, we have evolved to become a rather urbanized species. We, we, we enjoy cities. We, we like them. We, we try to constantly, you know, reimagine and, and think about them or, or even fantasize about how they could be and what they would look like. And we're also very familiar with how they work and how they, they function. So I would say that. Yeah, those those three pillars would be the reasons of why I tend to to focus on uh, game cities. And do you think there's there's something um, that we can get from video game cities that that we can't in in other mediums? Because obviously, like I'm not saying you can't uh, construct like really effective cities in, in in literature or film or whatever, but games do stand out in the sense that you can actually mm. walk around like a, a virtual place and and that must do something so yeah it's it's uh, it's effectively the interactivity the fact that you know as you said you get to walk around which is something no other medium really really allows you to and you get to interact with it you, you get to examine it often at your own time and at your very own pace you get to focus on the things that you know you interest you. There, there's also this sense that the more you explore, the the more you will find. Mm. And ad- admittedly, it's setting is one of the things that video games do really good. I mean, we're very bad, say, with with monologues or with um, mm. you know showing off uh, complex and uh, intriguing characters, but we are good with doing. Um, setting uh, and cities in particular even if we don't always succeed at the scale of them yeah sure what for you would make up um, a a good virtual city or, or like how would you how do you think of designing a good virtual city um because I, I guess we've gone video games have certainly gone from uh like if you if you think back early very clearly being like levels and there's been a general movement to make them more like real places. And I, I presume someone like you with a with a background in urban design, it, it probably sometimes frustrating for you to see like what cities have done badly. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what? How do you how do you design like a good virtual city? Like what what? Does, how does that look for you? It's true, but I mean the the first consideration would have to be you know something. That's really closely tied to, to to game design and level design and, and you know like narrative and everything. You have to make certain that the first thing that your your city does is you know fit in and and let people play the way they're supposed to play. Mm-hmm. And I mean this is this is like a demand that has to be met at all all times. But other than that, you will as long as this city is uh, something that makes sense and feels right in in, in size and uh, complexity, then indeed it can be you know relatively believable and in certain cases immersive. Another thing you would have to keep in mind that you know a memorable place that would be unique in a world so that it would serve a specific function it would 
it would be I don't know you know anything that makes sense um, like I don't know an outpost uh, uh, transportation hub uh, you know something that would that would give it a reason for existence that would also help ground it in reality is also something that helps a lot so you would also have to imbue your city with some sort of history and imagined past uh, you know maybe hope for the future something like that so you would you would have to roughly speaking try to simulate the way that cities are built at least in your mind not not, not like in the hmm. 3d block out of, of the city uh, and try to keep things as coherent and sensible as possible obviously you know stealing from reality and stealing even bits from reality is something that can help a lot is it that is, is it that different to your like you got you know obviously this background in urban planning and stuff like is it that mm-hmm. different to thinking about real places it's not that different but there are certain very very you know fundamental differences i mean first of all you are not uh you don't have to tackle you know red tape and specific laws and specific um regulations you do not have to Mm. make certain that everything um works according to the laws of nature you can bend anything you want to fit your uh, specific needs and you know it's it's relatively relaxing the fact that you know that anything you do will not directly affect the everyday life of many people so that's you know pretty freeing yeah i mean on the other hand you do have you do have budgetary constraints and you do have this this need to recreate something that is usually i mean if think of any city think of any major city and it's been there for a few centuries it has been planned and replanned by countless specialists it has been populated by the build you know, with buildings from countless eras and the thousands of brilliant architects and it has been shaped in a billion tiny ways from, you know, millions of people living there over history. And you sort of have to simulate that and and make something that looks and feels as lived in as this super complex and infinitely granular detailed reality. So, yeah, to do that is, is an exercise in clever abstraction and, and maybe symbolism. Mm. But it sort of is the same thing. I mean, you're creating an illusion of the of the real thing that also has to serve a gameplay function. Yeah, I guess as as you suggested there, there's there's yeah also things that you wouldn't consider with a real city necessarily that you do have to consider in a virtual city. Like like if you're thinking, you you wouldn't necessarily think in a real city. I want to generate a particular kind of i don't know i want to create an atmosphere of atmosphere, dread yeah, you yeah. wouldn't think about that when you're deciding no. a real city well, this is it ad- admittedly some people would okay and for i mean you know that there is there is this um very very offensive type of urban design where you want to keep certain people out of certain places so you do not want to sure? home, the homeless to slip here so you yeah no you you put like small metal spikes here very true i mean it's it's sick, but it's something that ha- is increasingly happening around the world. So I mean, you do have this completely uninviting type of of urban planning, or or you have. Speaking of atmosphere, I mean, if you want to create a, an impressive processional avenue for the king, mm. I mean, you probably don't do that nowadays, but you used to do that like mm. during the Baroque era a lot your whole city would be created around this idea. And, and this is something that has happened, I mean, especially in places like, you know, uh, Petersburg or, or, or Washington, okay, without kings in Washington, but you had this very, uh, very monumental design of the whole city. Yeah, I think this, this, is, this 
this now kind of it gets to like one of the reasons that I'm very interested in talking about cities and virtual cities in terms of like thinking about utopias and, and dystopias and things mm. like that and what they do things like you mentioning just something like spikes to keep out the homeless like you can just see that and that tells you a lot about mm. social dynamics of a place it tells you a lot about inequality about who's wanted mm-hmm. where and who's not i guess those are the types of things that and like you said like um yeah like uh one of the one of these grand avenues again the, the city being built around that tells you a lot about who the uh who is in power who's not who this place is designed for i guess those are the kind of things that you might be thinking about employing when you're building a virtual place true true and maybe even more you would be more uh, emphatic in your design you would make you would have to make certain that people absolutely see that because i mean sometimes okay maybe you have to balance subtlety with uh, really impressive stuff but you usually need to drive points really hard in games you have to to keep in mind that people are mostly playing so in order for them i don't know to notice the chimney stacks of um you know dunwall and dishonor mm. you will have to have a lot of them and show them repeatedly and make certain that people get it that look this is what it looks like even when they're not paying attention mm. so this is this is like another design wise difference like mm. your, your aesthetics tend to be more exaggerated on average mm. Do you think do you think they they have a potential virtual cities that I mean as well to make us think more critically? But because I was mm. just thinking, like if someone's playing a video game, they're more inclined to be so they're they're entering a world they don't know. They're more inclined to be receptive to thinking about okay, what's the situation here? Like who who do i have to be careful of who who's who's in power here which areas are safe to go which aren't you you might engage with the city in a more critical way and notice these these kind of things like uh like you you, you know like homeless spikes for example you can easily walk mm-hmm. past those in a real place and not see them necessarily um yes i think i think that you make a, a good point and sometimes the interactivity of the medium itself, the fact that you get to engage with those the imagined realities maybe helps you see the parallels and maybe helps you look at things that you wouldn't probably be looking at in reality. But I would think that since since you mentioned Utopia, you know, before, I would think that this would be a more a more interesting and maybe more impressive use of um, gaming. So it's one thing to you know read about an utopia, utopia and and read about you know the the phalanx there and how it was imagined and look at the sketches and it's a completely different thing to be able to visit it and live in it even in a virtual space it it gives it a palpability to your imagination that makes it more you know possible mm. so but this is something i've i've been recently thinking about that the fact that we can give impossible ideas shape a very a very distinct and a very recognizable and, and and functional shape. This is a way to convince perhaps perhaps people that certain things can be done. I mean, you you can see those things happening even if it's a crude simulation, and this allows your imagination to to, to process them in a in a different and better and more concrete way. Yeah, for sure, and I, I hope there's because I think 
like in pretty much every medium we have a, a kind of prevalence of dystopias um there's yeah. not that many like i could i'm sure if i wanted to now i could write write down a list of 50 video game dystopias very easily i don't oh, think easily. i could write down <laughs> i think i'd struggle to write down some, some kind of utopian video game cities uh i think it's a I'm, lot harder i'm trying to think of any like actual typical utopian city and i'm really hard pressed to do that i mean you could you could argue that certain places have utopian elements yeah. Or that they would be good places to live in the way, I don't know, Stockholm is a good place to live in. Yeah, but I, I don't think... But that's it. Yeah, I mean, they tend to be, I think, even if I, I think of, yeah, like you say, like pleasant. It's like pleasant places in video games. It's like Stockholm might maybe a nice city, but it's not like a fundamentally yeah. different way of living. It's no, not like exactly. post-capitalism or something. And even in these in exactly. video games, these cities tend to be... One city might be nicer than, than another, but they tend to function in like the same on the same uh, mm. system, same economic system, or whatever. So, yeah. True. But I, I'm sure there. I, I hope there will be games that, that do that, and I'm, I think you're definitely right. There's potential there. Um, I, I've I've got vaguely in my mind. There's a game in open access in the moment, which is like about like a kind of a utopian like um, commune type thing where you're trying to build yeah. like a self-sufficient uh okay, place like built on automation and stuff like that uh not on a city scale but hopefully that's a sign that people are Still, starting to experiment in that direction no, I, i'm thinking you know sometimes the, the the things that are expressed in in art whether mainstream or you know less less so tend to be a combination of the things people actually think about mm. and what like the, the 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 whole establishment would like them to think about. So we we are in a certain historical point where pessimism seems to be prevalent. The, the, it's it's one of those rare historical cases where you know the younger generation knows that will have that it will have a harder time than the older generation. Mm. And this is something that's actually global mm. and that's also very unique. Mm. It's not very common. And people tend to think in terms of dystopias and horrible futures and, you know, increased class differences. And they actually just extrapolate on what's going on around them. And though that makes sense, the future usually tends to ignore those extrapolations. Yeah. In in reality. Yeah. Let's hope so, for sure. (laughs) Yes. I mean, of course, it could be much, much worse than extrapolated. So there's always this case. (laughs) That's another scenario. Yeah, sure. Um... Okay, uh, I wondered if uh, something that I thought might be helpful to do is if if you might be able to pick like a couple of um, cities that you cover in your book and kind of explain to the li- the listeners what those places are and like what why mm. you find them effective. Just to first of all to give people an idea of what you're doing in the book, but also it's kind of it, um, yeah to 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 kind of think through again what we're talking about, like how virtual cities work like what's interesting or useful about them so yeah i just wanted there's sure, a couple yeah. that stand out that are, that are interesting De- definitely i mean i i would like to say first of all let, let me tell so that people know that this book is it's not exactly a technical book it, it sort of approaches every city from an in-universe point of view so it gives you a description of that would make sense within this world and it's not an omniscient description and this mm. is usually followed by a much smaller 
um, designer-focused bit, which sort of tells you what said city has done uh, well. Now, having said that, because people have been asking me exactly, I mean, why do you choose to do to do it this way or, or another way? So, like some of the cities that I, I think they were very fun to 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 write about, I would say that they would definitely include Woodtick from Monkey Island Two, from Monkey Island Two, which is not not really a city; it's more of a town. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such a you know atmosphere heavy and and nice and unique place that fits its setting wonderfully. I mean, you have this pirate town consisting of uh, half sunken ships and and you know weird pirate versions of hotels and and bars and everything. Mm. So that that was a wonderful place to to write about, mostly because it it sort of lacked detail in in the game itself. So you got to flesh it out in any way you wanted and felt that would be right to do. Yeah, it's a really fun place so, as well. Like just yes, it is. Like... It, it, it's fun. I mean, I wouldn't call it the utopia, but it's a place you would probably enjoy living in. Mm. And it's also beautiful, which is also which helps a lot. It it helps make it memorable, and it it helps. You know, the fact that it was also part of one of the best games ever designed. I suppose also a good example, because, um, I mean, we've talked about, like, making cities to some extent realistic or, like, make sense. Um, this is a good example. Like, you mentioned, like, it's kind of built out of half-sunken ships and stuff. Not necessarily particularly realistic, but it's no, a good example it, that you don't always not. need to do that depending on what your objective is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But also I would say that it's it's realistic within its world it, it's as wacky as the rest of the world it's coherent effectively i mean it's, okay yeah yeah i see what you're saying yeah it's it's not realistic i mean yeah definitely i'm, I'm thinking you know the the space stations in in, in prey or um you know any sci-fi community is not realistic in the scientific say traditional manner but it's it's coherent it feels right it's it's uh, as realistic as an illusion needs to be in order to help uh, the audience suspend its disbelief or it's not just too wrong you know something like that yeah yeah certainly yeah that's like coherent within the the fictional world of monkey island which is yeah this is and it, it, it sort of is i mean you you would say that yeah it, it fits in nicely so so that's one i mean on the other hand we have novigrad from from witcher 3 which mm-hmm. is which is properly realistic mm. I mean, it is a low fantasy universe, but one that's like really sticks close to what a combination of a medieval slash Renaissance city would look like. Mm. And it, 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 it it's so well done that it really makes sense. And if you read about it, um, the, the way it was uh, created, you could see that the project read like did bother with thinking about so where does a stone come from and how do we treat the river and roughly i i would say that in in novigrad uh, despite you know all you have you have history in it you you have places where things have happened and the players get to know that this is where x type of person lives and this is where executions happen and this is where people gather to have fun or uh, anything else but you 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 also see you know the the correct societies, the, the the society you would expect to, to see in such a place. I mean, you do have like the poor and the rich and the, and the super poor within the city, but you also when you, you have the contrast of the urban poor to the um, you know countryside poor, which mm. during the Middle Ages was extreme. 
So you get that too, and this makes the place even more real. And you know, you have wells. So usually games do not have wells. Which, and if you start thinking about wells, you, you then start looking at all the games, thinking like, where do these people get their water from? Yeah. How do they? Which is not. It's not a difficult thing to model like a couple of wells and just put them there, even on a symbolic level. Just say, look, we, we've thought of that. Mm. People get to drink water, and Novigrad does that very impressively. And I think at some point I did the calculations. You know, like how many how many buildings there are in the city, and how many people would live on average in the city, and you would see that the 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 sizes and the scale are pretty close to to historical. I mean, you wouldn't have like thirty thousand people living in such a place, but you could have probably ten thousand people living in 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 Novgorod as it was modeled. Okay, which is cool. yeah, that, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, they they and I mean, if you go to like well preserved like medieval European cities mm. uh, in real life, you could you can see that they've paid attention to uh, yeah how those places are, and like you said, the, yeah. in terms of aesthetics, but also like you said, the structure in terms of like having squares and stuff, which would have been common at that time. Uh, True, and they also played very nicely, you know, with the with the use of the street as a public space. I mean, that the street was not there just for people and um, you know objects to move around they were there as the places where social life more or less happened i mean you could see that in Novigrad too it, it, it was really well done it's one of the most impressive open world cities and it's one of those few wisely set uh, in an era where the scale can actually be tackled with any consistency yeah it, it uh it's really got um sense of energy about it as well that we kind of associate exactly. with the city yes. like the the idea of of this being a place where things happen um yes you're very very correct there yeah i also like uh i like this and get i think maybe this depends to an extent on when you choose to go there but i know it was a while before i went to novigrad uh, in the Witcher, I like it when like places are built up a bit, like you know they exist, yes, and it's like yes. oh, people are you're aware that there's this big. Uh, that happens a lot. Mm. I mean, in, in, in the Witcher, I mean, you you hear about Novgorod. I think it, one of the very very first taverns you go in, mm. and and, you've, and then you see it from afar. Yeah, and then it gets built because I mean, think if you think about it, like I don't know, London or or Berlin or or Paris or anything, it's. It's not just the city itself. Mm. I mean, it's, it's the whole mythology that you've built in your mind before actually visiting. I mean, if I tell you about Venice, even if you have never been to Venice, you already know a lot of things and you've heard a lot of things and you expect things. Mm. And the game sort of did the same thing for Novgorod. It, it had constant references to it. So when you entered it, you were already, you know, psyched up yeah. and expecting something fantastic. Yeah, that's a yeah. I think that's really a credit to them paying attention as well to the mm. idea of obviously this is the biggest city in the region. It's an important place, so of course people are aware of it and talking about it in other places. It, it completely makes sense. Uh, reminds me also. Um, I loved uh, New uh, Fallout New Vegas as well. Mm. That's the same. Like y you get to New Vegas, like towards it's like a massive journey to get there. And it's always yep. New Vegas, New Vegas, New Vegas, and like you're going under this mat and then finally you 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 get there and like you say it builds up this this kind of legend and and it makes it seem like a significant place and, and it, you get the you get to be able to you know ignore things that are not as good as they were just because you, you you're so excited 
to just be there. And I mean, especially in New Vegas, which is a highly, highly symbolic place. I mean, you, you don't have as much as a city, as much of a symbol for a city. I mean, you have, I don't know, you have like three, four casinos, three casinos. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, 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 because it's, it's interesting as well. Like we're talking about them both doing New Vegas and Novigrad both doing a, an effective job in that sense. But like, yeah, like due to technical limitations and stuff at that time, mm. yeah, like you say, New Vegas is quite, I don't know, uh, impressionistic. I don't know if that's the right word. Like, it yeah, it's, I think it's, it's just that you, you have symbols for things. Yeah. And, it, and it, so yeah, it, you can do that and it can work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when there's like this once again, coherence of, of fidelity. So, I mean, in a super realistic, photorealistic world, I would expect everything to be there or at least like mm. really close to to reality. Whereas in a cartoon world or, a, you know, cel-shaded, low-poly setting, I wouldn't expect to see every pipe and every pedestrian make sense. It's sort of like your, your brain adjusts mm. its expectations to the overall style of the thing. Yeah. Um, so I wondered if, if we could talk a bit about like virtual cities, the way they communicate information to us, like the potential Mm. to do that and why that might be effective. So I presume this is something you'd also be thinking about if you're designing cities. So (laughs) so I'm thinking about things like, uh, some of the things we've already touched on a bit. So like social structures, like power, economics, history, customs, I mean, how do we think about like communicating those things like through a place? Well, admittedly, I, I the, the, at least the way I approach it is, and and, the, and so the way that I also tend to look at them is um, as as narratively fertile or not, and that's that's the the one say pillar of uh, narrative in in, in cities. So, like, are these places? good enough to make help us come up with uh, stories or help the players imagine that things are happening here like what you described for Novigrad the fact that it feels dynamic it feels mm. like a place where things are happening where where uh, the cogs are moving and mm. such uh, that, that's the one pillar and the other pillar is like cities are places that can do environmental storytelling on the grand scale but also be very very granular so you can have everything from posters to the different types of uh, buildings for example in in half-life 2 to city 17 you have buildings from distinctly different periods they've you you have pre-soviet stuff you have um, baroque stuff you have like alien construction such as the 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 main tower and stuff Mm. which shows you that there have been different eras and there has been a history to the place and then you have uh, landmarks which are uh, they at least tend to imply who is in power. So if you have, like, uh, say, in a medieval city, if you have the castle in the middle, or if you have the guild hall in the middle, or a cathedral in the middle, it would show you more or less who's in charge here. Mm-hmm. So th- that's one way of doing it. And then you could have, um, you know, people talking. You don't have to be, those don't have to be interactive dialogues, but you can just listen to people talking. And this is something that Dreamfall chapters did wonderfully. I mean, you just could move around and listen to the people discussing the situation and the forthcoming election and their everyday problems. You didn't have to necessarily speak with them, but you got to to really feel what the, the, the whole tension was all about and what um, was actually bugging people. So that, that was an interesting way of doing it. 
And then, you know, in, in places like um, Dunwall, you get to see the graffiti and the unstoppable evidence of the importance of whale oil in the local economy. And those repeated details that can really help drive a point through. So th- there are really several ways of doing it, and it really depends on the type of game and on the speed of the game. For example, in an adventure game, you just have descriptions for everything, and you know that players will look at them. And whereas in a, I don't know, in a shooter, you would have to make things more obvious and make certain that the you know the the landmark in in, in City Seventeen is a huge thing. That that's the first thing that you look at when you exit the the first area. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it, it depends. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I wondered if there were any um, trends that you came across when you were picking out these cities and writing about these cities. Um, like if there's if there's anything that you you were as you were going through, you would notice something that was appearing again and again, like in terms of either how they were designed or what the cities were well, trying to articulate or, or something like that. So was there was there anything? Well, there is the, the, there's a tendency to focus on landmarks which is which is wise and it's, it's it also comes from level design i mean the, the so-called win is the the important places that have to draw players in everything from you know the combine tower in, in half-life 2 to the shinra headquarters in mm. final fantasy 7 those are like major buildings major landmarks that we know that can both tell stories and pull players towards them and maybe even drive the plot yeah so this is something that a lot of games use. And then there's always, you know, the the very obvious rich-poor divide that is... I mean, the, yeah, this, that... this basic, basic class um, distinction of societies, which, you know, everyone is really, really aware of. And in reality, is often... I wouldn't even say exaggerated anymore. No. It's just re- represented in games. You know, it's 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 there. And you can you can see it, and this is something you can relate to. I mean, easily. Yeah, and it makes it makes sense. I think that even uh, like that's probably something people put in games without even thinking about it too much. It's exactly. kind of an example of like how our awareness of like even not not necessarily on a conscious level, but like the, our kind of the tensions and anxieties and problems in our real world are going to be expressed in those cities intentionally or not i completely believe it too that it's not something that's really intentional i do not believe that you know vast corporations would like to draw attention to the fact that this is a very divided society no. they do not i mean rich people do not want to draw your attention to the fact that they're rich and poor no. yeah but the fact that those games are made by normal people and they just consider this a, a normal fact of life, and they just express it. And it's a it's a good a good like um, setting point to draw attention from. Yeah. And this is what makes it so prevalent. And it's actually more prevalent, I would say, the, the those class distinctions. They're more prevalent in in mainstream games than in indie games, which tend to be way more personal. Yeah, I think you might be yeah. right when I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. It's, I mean, there are very, very few. There's like a, a distinct lack of uh, indie games that tend... I mean, okay, we have Disco Legion. Okay, mm. definitely, we do have that. Um, and certainly another, you know, 10 or 20 or so. But most of the indie games tend to be too personal to care about anything going around them, which is very interesting. I suppose that's also potentially partly a factor of scale in that obviously big studios Probably. are able to Probably. make yeah. huge places. Yeah. And then if you do make a huge city, then... 
yeah, it's it's like you said, it's it just by wrong. instinct you'd think, well, there's going to be rich people, there's going to be yeah. poor people. So. Yeah, it, it would feel pretty silly otherwise. Yeah, yeah. But still, it, it, it's there and it's, it was very... I mean, I, I kept noticing it and it wasn't like subtle or anything. It was like very emphatic and very in the middle of things. Yeah. That, that this is how these societies are, are constructed. And that was yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um actually while we're talking about big uh, big cities and scale um i wanted to ask you if you what you think about scale when it comes to designing cities and if you think this might be overvalued um it's kind of like a personal bugbear of mine that, that, <laughs> that, that like there's a lot of focus in video games again particularly this is more in terms of like big budget video games like Oh, this the next game's going to be even bigger. Like the city's going to be bigger, as if that, and there can be value to that. But to me, that doesn't. It's kind of this idea that this inherently makes it better. Um, and I, I tend to be, I tend to think of places like Dunwall, which is relatively small, um, from Dishonored, uh, Rubicava, which you you have in the book as well from Grim Fandango. Again, quite a small place, relatively speaking, that that nevertheless. Do a lot, but you know, b- both of these places. I mean, both Rubakava and uh, Danwall, despite being like the, the actual game space is, is really small and, and confined, and I would say curated actually. Mm. But the sense of this of the civic scale is there. I mean, you do feel that Danwall is a huge place, yeah. and the game is very clever at you know evoking this sense. It, it gives you like amazing views, it lets you. Um, you know, move around this Thames-like river with a uh, with a boat from place to place, and you look at this vast city on either side of the of the river. You don't get to visit it, mm. but you have this constant sense that this vast city is there, and this could even be achieved, you know, with a map. Mm. If if I show you, you know, the the two maps from um, uh, Gabriel Knight One's New Orleans, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you get to visit those ten or fifteen super detailed locations. Mm. The, the The game space might be tiny, but you always have this constant feeling that you're playing in this large metropolis. Whereas in an open world game, especially in an older one, you would have to have to abstract things far too much. And mm. you know, in in reality, parts of a city are of no particular interest to anyone other than, than residents. Yeah. So I mean, you don't want to necessarily drive through that place or you won't have anything to do there mm. so when you when you approach the, I think the difference is like whether it's a, it's an open world or, or a curated world and and when it's an open world you will have to you know go for a size that's at least slightly convincing mm. you won't be able to to be like really convincing i mean if, if you contrast i don't know los santos from gta 5 6 17 i don't know how many of those they have mm. but but if you contrast such a city to a tiny city i don't know from from mainland greece mm. it would look incredibly small yeah yeah so so i mean you would have to i don't think that we always have to go the open world way yeah let me just say that sometimes it can work i mean in in Novgorod sure. it works wonderfully yeah and admittedly, my um, you know GTA Miami, it's it's an interesting place. Mm-hmm. It's very being cartoony helps a lot, mm. yeah. but it's not always the best idea. I still haven't you know played uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven to to see how that went, 
heard conflicting things regarding the the city itself. The city, but I the city really looks really liked. good. Yeah, uh, good. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think as well. Yeah, I think sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes people maybe just need, need, would need to think about a bit more about how people actually experience cities because, like, mm. you, you kind of you you uh, kind of suggested this as well. Like, if you live in a city, you probably don't spend all your time driving from like one end to the other, like you do in open yes. world games. You probably you probably spend most of your time like in an area around your where you live. And maybe like in an area around your work, um, where you mm-hmm. work. So the, people's actual experience of living in cities is often based in like relatively small um, hubs. They don't just like exactly. They don't just drive around constantly, like moving all over and, the place. And even if you think the way we move around the city, it's either either by driving or via you know public transport. Mm. It's mostly points of the city where where we live in. We don't have this continuous sense of space we we feel the scale around us it's different being in new york and it's different being i don't know in a small uh, german town by the ruhr mm. you 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 feel that at every yeah. point but still i mean you will go to the subway enter at station b and exit at station e yeah and this is where you go to your friend's house and you know a few places places around that or you, even when you drive you, you usually have like this very specific set of arteries you 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 follow in order to get from mm. to commute for example you know, or, yeah. or to visit your your grandmother whatever mm. so uh, usually a curated space works better because it allows you to to work on those specific districts and sub areas and, and give them all the you know granularity and detail that we expect to see yeah and make them matter actually yeah Okay, um, final question. Uh, might be difficult to answer given we've already <laughs> talked about lack of utopias. Um, uh, I just wondered if, if there are any, any cities that you've included in your in the book that you would consider in any way utopian or, or have some kind of utopian dimension that, that you might be able to talk us uh, through. No, I, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, the, the, the bus simulator 18 city is, is not utopian, it's, it's it's pleasant. It's like a pleasant social democratic type utopia, which would be too good to exist nowadays, mm. but would be completely like unimpressive during the sixties or seventies in, in in Europe at least. But yeah, like the the idea know. of a the idea of like a functioning public transport system yes. is kind of utopian. Yes, I mean, like right say. now it sounds completely amazing. The fact that you don't look, you don't have like countless homeless, deteriorating infrastructure, and yeah, those things which are not utopian, just like you know the average thing I people were meant to expect a few, yeah. a few decades back. Yeah, true. But then I don't know. I mean. I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about uh, Pripyat okay. from 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 Stalker. But I mean, the more I read about its actual the, the actual city, mm. that came really close to utopian planning, w- with a slight problem of the you know exploding nuclear reactor accident. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, if you exclude that, yeah, <laughs> the rest of the city was pretty amazing. And I was actually reading that the people living in Pripyat. Were incredibly reluctant to leave it after the even after the accident, right? Because they were they they realized the fact that this was an incredibly well planned and you know impressive city with you know 
amazing flower beds and enough. Uh, they had enough space in the combination of restaurants and bars to actually fit in 70% of the population simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, they had all those things and then you have this minor problem of the exploding reactor which sort of kills it for everyone. Yeah. But, yeah. but honestly, I mean, book outside the book too, it's, I just can't think of any proper utopian take i mean there, there are hopeful games there are games where, sure. where you like you, you change uh, the the dystopia and, and you win the bad guys and in the name of society and everyone but actual <laughs> you know actual an actual utopian place i, I don't think of mm. yeah we've seen utopias that have failed and always admittedly utopia is also pretty subjective mm. I mean, for, for, for some, the Bioshock's um, objectivist, um, yeah, you know, anti-human theory would be utopian. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. That, <laughs> again, it's interesting that, that yeah, bus simulator comes up as a bit, because I'm sure that when they're building bus simulator, <laughs> they weren't thinking, oh, let's, let's build a place that's, nice. that's like utopian. But yeah, just, just, um, in kind of making a functional city and making a functional transport system and yeah like you say there's not pe- homeless people on the streets and stuff like that it kind of inadvertently gestures to something that's at least kind of utopian but um, do you know what I, maybe 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 the, the citadel from mass effect okay yeah then again it's it's still it has like societal problems you wouldn't expect to see, I don't know, two thousand years in the future. Yeah, it's kind I of mean, like uh, you kind of with the technology and stuff. It feels like it should almost be like a, a kind of um, uh, automated post scarcity. Um, yeah, uh, but but it's it, it's like almost in that setting, but they've transported the the problems of today like into that setting. If that makes sense. Yes, but it's it's. it's I don't think it fits as well. And it's the same thing that we have with... Uh, lately, I've, I've been studying a lot of, you know, post-apocalyptic um, literature and movies and games and everything. And it's amazing to see that... I can't remember who said that, but apparently it really is easier for us to imagine the end of humanity than the end of capitalism. Yeah. And we, we, we get to to recreate and reimagine the thing that we're experiencing and the thing that has been going on for, I don't know, three centuries tops. Yeah. And we cannot think anything different to that. And even when we describe like feudal societies or, uh, you know, uh, prehistoric societies or even societies in the far future, we still keep the same values and um, tensions and interactions at the core of our thought. And we just transplant them in a different setting. But we keep the core of our societies the same, our imagined societies the same. And this is a bit tiresome, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, that uh, just for reference uh, is Frederick Jameson that um, that quote. Ah, thank uh, you. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> think you. I yeah I think you're right. I'm definitely I, I am genuinely optimistic that that w- is slowly changing. Though I think even just in terms of so I think of like within like literature, um, mm. Cory Doctorow, who uh, I haven't actually read any of his books yet, but I've got one to read for the podcast um, Walk Away, which kind of shows, attempts to show like a utopian place in motion, 
like I, I think I would, I these things are, are slowly appearing. I hope at least. So I, I, I think we might see it in video games at, at some point. Yes, but. it would be. It, it's actually the ideal medium. To, yeah. to try and do this. Yeah, to, to, yeah, like because, like you said, this is a place you can walk around. You can, and also obviously, video games are about systems. And if we're talking about mm-hmm. like a society mm-hmm. emotion, you you can play with those things. Like, how do these systems work? Like, how do the economics function? How that's so, yeah. Then again, perfect. a utopia. See, a utopia is, a, is a, philosophically speaking, a utopia is a society that effectively has stopped being in motion. Mm. I mean, when you've reached perfection, that's it. So when you've reached per- perfection, you know all the all the tensions and all the dialectics and everything sort of solves itself, and it's difficult to have plot in it. Yeah, you could have a much better society with new types of problems, perhaps. Yeah, that that's that's what I was going to say. I think I think I think bad utopias are, are ones that are boring, precisely because of what you said. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing happening, and like you can read some like old utopias that are yeah they're, they're just boring because like there's no conflict, <laughs> and if there's no conflict, then yeah there's nothing I mean, yeah. there. I think of something like um, the dispossessed, where exactly where you, I mean, there are still it, it's a utopian society, but there are still conflicts, there are still problems, and like you said, maybe different types of problems. And it's it's very impressive that. In, in the dispossessed, when when you compare the two, as the as like the um, the, narr- the narrative goes from from one planet to the other, mm. you can see that like both planets have like problems and narratives, and like in, in the one planet, like the fact that oh, I feel slightly bad for doing this that might have offended someone, and to the pla- on the other planet, you have like oh look, there were like fifteen hundred people murdered during this demonstration. Yeah. And and they're sort of presented with the same weight, which is a fantastic, fantastically clever thing to do. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, it, I mean, obviously, if, if you are Brusselot again, you can yeah, obviously write like really impressively and, and and manage to to convey that sense of conflict out of tiny things. Yeah, but you're 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 hundred percent right. It's 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 hard. It's harder to to do. Uh, I think it's much easier to do a dystopia than it is to do a utopia, which is one of the... Or, you know, you could just have a wonderful utopia and have Cthulhu come over and just sort of... Yeah. You know, yeah. completely outside sorts of tension and distraction and disaster. So that would be fun too. Yeah, sure. A bit like Pripyat, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's been it's been fun talking to you. Um, yeah, where should, you. Where should has people been. go if they want to like check out your book or... Uh, they can. I mean, uh, they, they they could definitely visit my site at uh, game-cities.com, um, mm-hmm. or, or or just you know, Google search virtual cities yeah. atlas, and they will find the book. It's it's on most, I think, on, on all major online uh, bookstores, and and in the UK, I think it's in most bookstores too. Yeah, cool. So it should be pretty easy to to find. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, check that out if you're interested. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. That was wonderful. That is the end of my conversation with Konstantinos. Hope you enjoyed it. And as I mentioned at the beginning of of the episode, um, a review on on Apple Podcasts would be appreciated. If you enjoyed it, that that helps to uh, make the show more visible and and kind of make it more popular, spread the word a bit. you could just rec- okay, also just recommend it to somebody. Uh, that would help as well. Um, and if you want to support me doing the show, 
then head to patreon.com slash utopian horizons you can sign up there you can cancel anytime you like there's no commitment and as soon as you sign up you'll get access to a whole list of bonus episodes i've done on uh capitalist realism and anime and uh what did i just do i just started running through um what's it called snowpiercer the netflix tv series um so i've started that one there as well uh, if you've got any comments or questions on on this episode or, or any other, anything else you want to get in touch with me about, you can tweet me at Utopian Horizons or you can email me at utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I'm going to try and get some more episodes out soon. But I uh, hope you've enjoyed this one for now and I'll see you again soon. Bye.